Release date, November 28, 2022. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of TBD Sportscast College Football with your hosts, I'm Mason. And I'm Isaac. Welcome to episode 18 of season three. This is our Rivalry Week preview. Going to be talking about Rivalry Week. Dude, the regular season's over, man. Can you believe it? No, dude. It feels like just yesterday LSU lost on Labor Day weekend in New Orleans, and now all of a sudden the season's over. It's crazy. LSU season beginning on a loss, ending on a loss. Crazy, right? Anyway... (laughs) (laughs) anyway no but seriously it was a crazy week in college football um and like you just said it literally just feels like just yesterday I was getting nervous about Georgia playing Oregon in the first game uh even though it was in Atlanta and seeing that game happen I know it didn't start for you as it wanted but the season honestly for both of us I feel like both of our teams have have had a really good season obviously I mean and no no shade literally I mean it sucks that your team lost to A&M which we're going to get into in a minute but for Brian Kelly's first year that's pretty awesome to, you know, win the SEC West, have a chance to win the SEC, honestly, because, I mean, I'm not saying it's, you know, going to be a beatdown by Georgia. It could go either way. Uh, but seriously, a good season for LSU. Uh, and with, you know, Georgia losing 15 guys to the draft and only giving up about 11 and a half points per game uh, when our defense, that's pretty insane. That's a that's a unit right there, man. That's That's really good. I don't care who you are. That's impressive, period. Exactly, man. And people can say, like, well, your schedule sucked. It's like, well, I mean, we did let Kent State and Missouri score, like, 22 points on us. So, hee-hee. Uh, <laughs> well, we're not, we're not, you know, we're not remembering that. We got we got the dubs. That's all <laughs> That's all that matters. But it's like I said, you know, it's 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 reload, not rebuild. Kirby Smart has obviously uh, been doing a lot with the recruiting. Glenn Schumann and Will Muschamp, co-defensive coordinators, actually stepping up, getting out there on the recruiting trail and picking up some some great guys like Malachi Starks. But anyway, let's get into it. Rivalry week. Rivalry week was crazy. We had a lot of upsets, which we're going to get to in a minute. But we're going to start with our rivalry week takeaways. We'll start with the pick records. So usually we only pick 10 games per week. This week we picked 29 because we did a rivalry week speed round and a battle for the bowl speed round. The battle for the bowl speed round obviously uh, had 12 games because it was the only teams left in FBS that could possibly make a bowl. They were at five wins, uh, and they needed a six to get to the bowl. Uh, but we we had a lot of games that we picked. So me and Isaac ended up tying 19 to 10, uh, and Joey ended up going 16 to 13, which puts me back in the lead by two. We Joey jumped ahead of me by one last week. Now I'm ahead by two because he got three losses. Uh, Isaac, because he came in the middle, he's he's in a conference all his own, if you would, because <laughs> he does not he has not picked 139 games like me and Joey. Uh, he has picked 103, so uh, he's a, he's a, he's he's his his percentage goes down every week though. So it's getting closer and closer. Uh, anyway, so we're going to talk about the teams who got to the bowl. We did the battle for the bowl speed round last week. These are the teams who actually made it. Missouri makes it after defeating Arkansas 29 to 27 at home. This game, I mean, it's like I told y'all, Missouri's not a terrible football team. Are they great? No. Are they good? Eh, it depends on the game and it depends on where it's played. South Carolina, they got the game on the road or they got the dub on the road. Uh, but I told y'all, Missouri's not a great football team. They're not terrible. It's just they can't finish. I mean, they actually were playing Tennessee pretty close up until the fourth quarter, and then like they they let it get away from them. Georgia, same thing. Uh, Florida, same thing. Uh, it looks like this one they actually ended up finishing it out though, and they got the win against the Hogs, twenty nine to twenty seven at home. Uh, UAB after defeating LA Tech on the road, thirty seven to twenty seven. Uh, LA Tech was like three and eight, so that really wasn't a surprise. Southern Miss gets to the bowl after defeating University of Louisiana Monroe on the road, twenty to ten. 
This one wasn't a shocker, but the score was higher than we anticipated. Louisiana, after defeating Texas State 41-13. And the closest one out of all these, Georgia Southern gets to the bowl after knocking off App State at home 51-48 to in double overtime. And let me tell you guys a little story on this one. Uh, me and Isaac were tied going into the last eight games. And only two games we picked apart, the rest of them we picked together. So if App State won this game because I picked Georgia Southern, Isaac was going to beat me by at least one. Well, Georgia Southern pulled it out in overtime. I couldn't even believe it in a double OT, man. Man, what was it? Well, just tell me, why did you pick App State? For a couple of reasons. Number one, they beat, and this doesn't mean a whole lot given A&M season, even though they beat LSU. You know, they upset A&M on the road earlier this year, and App State just as a whole, I mean, I'm, you know, I live just a couple hours from Boone. I just like App State, man, and I think the Mountaineers are a pretty good program up there in the Sun Belt, and I just thought they'd be able to go down to Georgia and get it done, but apparently I was wrong. So, you know, it is what it is. Man, and for me, it was kind of a gut thing. I mean, it's like we said last week during a speed round where you're just picking them straight up. Sometimes it's hard to pick them. Uh, I mean, we all picked CCU, and they got destroyed by James Madison on the road. So, uh, but no, I picked Georgia Southern as a gut thing. I also got some family down in South Georgia in Statesboro. So I, I was like, yeah, I think Georgia Southern can actually pull it out. And I was right, they did. But it was close. It was really close. And I was like, uh, thirty or a missed field goal. Because App State could have won, and they, they missed a field goal at the end of regulation. So I was a missed field goal away from, from losing that one. Uh, but the other games that we talked about, some I mean, some of the like the bigger games we talked about, the Iron Bowl went just like we thought. Uh, Alabama obviously won that one by a pretty good margin. But I will say, like we talked about last week, Auburn played with some emotion. That looked like a completely different team. It did not look like the Auburn we've been seeing. Defense obviously lackluster, but it's Alabama's offense, and Alabama's offense is still good. They're like I said last week, their secondary had to match up against the receivers, and they didn't. I mean, there were some stops that the defense made, and it looked good. I mean, and, and honestly, the offense at Auburn looked pretty good too. But uh, Alabama's defense was able to to show up at home, which is another factor. And Alabama won this game by three touchdowns. So. Either way, I think Cadillac Williams has a lot to be proud of because it looks like they're playing with heart. They took the defeat well. And something else that I saw is that Cadillac Williams has had some of these dudes coming to him and turn into Jesus. Like he said that he's had a lot of kids come to Christ, you know, in the program over the last couple of weeks, which is really cool. He said that in his post game interview. So we talk about a lot how uh, the gospel and salvation in Jesus is really close to the heart of TV Sportscast. And to, to see that, especially in the college football world, it really warms our hearts here. So. Uh, Cadillac Williams, man, where if you hear this, we're, we're really happy about what you're doing down there at Auburn, man. It's really cool. Uh, we can talk about this one for a second. So Tennessee Vandy, it surprised me a little bit because I actually picked Vandy and I knew when I picked it, that was wrong, but I didn't expect it to be 56 to zero. I mean, I expected at least for them to score. I mean, for that, not even to score kind of, kind of threw me off a little bit. So, I mean, especially with Milton in and Milton played a great game. Like Joe Milton played a really good game at quarterback for Tennessee, uh, but what did what did you think? I'm with you, Mason. I think you know obviously I picked Tennessee because I thought Tennessee would win and they did, but I just thought I was like, well, Vandy, you know, they just beat Florida and they had a couple of good weeks there where they played really well. I thought maybe they'd give Tennessee a run for their money, or at the very least they would score. You know, maybe I, I was thinking like maybe Tennessee like 42-14 or something, but you know Vandy would at least get on the board and have a little bit of fun. But they dropped a freaking goose egg, so I don't know, man. Yeah, I, I mean, they definitely did. But, I mean, Tennessee's a good team, and I don't know. Vandy just, 
Yeah, you're right. I mean, I think it's just a goose egg, dude. I think they just they probably thought they had a little bit too much of a chance and didn't didn't play well enough. So Notre Dame, Notre Dame, USC. This game was a little bit weird because I mean, dude, Caleb Williams, and this is coming from a Georgia fan. This guy is definitely the Heisman. I mean, this guy can just make things happen. He extends plays. He plays smart football. He doesn't turn the ball over a lot. Uh, I, I mean, he he's definitely the Heisman candidate for me. But, I mean, the Notre Dame defense, they played really well, and that's honestly what kept them in the game. But they kept shooting themselves in the foot because they had some terrible turnovers. They had the the good old play-action fumble happen where the quarterback tried to hand it off to the running back, and neither one of them took it because there was some type of miscommunication fumble. The USC recovers. And then they had a couple fourth-and-ones deep in USC territory on offense where they could have you know, called like a way better play call than just a quarterback sneak up the middle. Because, I mean, there were th- those fourth and ones, they were long ones, and they didn't get them, which turned the ball back over. So, I mean, the, the score would have been at least six points closer than, than 11 because they lost by 11. Uh, and I, I think that if they would have scored the field goals, it would have been a lot closer. Uh, last game before we get into the big games. So, Oregon. They were up 31 to 10 on Oregon State late in the third quarter. They blow a 21 point lead, give up 27 unanswered points, and end up losing to Oregon State 38 to 34. One of my friends who actually goes to Utah, who was hoping that they would lose, was saying that he's like, Yeah, I turned it off at halftime. I went to the gym. I got dinner. I came home, turned the game back on, and they, it was like 34 to 28. He's like, Uh oh. And then, yep, they came back. Oregon State came back and won the game, thirty-eight to thirty-four. So I don't know if you how much of this one you watched, but what, I mean, what's your take on it? My take on it, number one, is that Oregon, I mean, blowing a twenty-one point lead like that makes you wonder if they ever progressed at all from the Georgia game. I mean, to give up a, th- a three touchdown lead in the third quarter late is like, but just so bizarre. I and mean, it also goes to show the up and down year that's been in the Pac-12. I mean. You know, Oregon's been solid outside of, you know, the Washington game and the Georgia game. And then now you look at this game, they blow it against Oregon State on rivalry week and all these little things, man. The Pac-12 has been a roller coaster this year. But, you know, I think with, with USC getting the – no, I wouldn't call it a convincing win, but that big win against Notre Dame, I think it kind of solidified the top the top dogs out there. But uh, it's just bizarre. To go blow a three-touchdown lead is just bizarre. Yeah, I completely agree. But the thing that really killed Oregon in this game is special teams because they had a couple punts where the punter got the ball and dropped it, and then got or had it was just a terrible punt. They went for it on fourth and like six and still didn't get it. So I mean, kind of like Notre Dame, just stupid stuff shooting yourself in the foot, man. And I think I think that that's all that comes down to. Uh, I, I think that if they would have played smarter, they probably would have come out with the dub. Uh, but no, I mean, nonetheless, I mean, a great season for first year head coach Dan Lanning. I mean, he came off a terrible loss to Georgia. And then, I mean, he actually turned the team around for a little bit. I mean, Bo Nix got hurt in the Washington game. So that definitely gave Washington an advantage because Bo Nix honestly played pretty well for the rest of the season. Uh, he, I mean, he's still good old Bo picks. He still throws interceptions a lot, which he did against Oregon State and Utah. Oregon barely squeaked out the win against Utah. And then obviously this is just a huge loss for the program. I mean, it's terrible. So uh, but with that being said, we're going to move on to, to, the, to the three biggest upsets of the week. Obviously, we're going to have to start out with number three, Michigan, at number two, Ohio State. Um, this game, the first half was pretty close, but in the second half, man, I mean, Michigan exploded. They outscored Ohio State 28-3 to in the second half, and the final score, 45-23. to Now, before we continue, I think we all expected Michigan to get close 
because I picked Michigan to win, and you and Joey both picked Ohio State. Now, I picked Michigan because of their defense and because every time Ohio State has come up against a good defense, they've choked and almost lost the game. Penn State, Maryland, even Northwestern. Northwestern played good defense that game, even though because both teams had to run the ball the entire time. So what was your reasoning in picking Ohio State? Well, just to be plumb honest with you, Mason, I just didn't think, in my opinion, I did not think that Michigan would go into the horseshoe and win. I certainly didn't think they'd go in there and pick up a three-touchdown win. But given the year Ohio State had, you know, down the stretch, and we can say that Penn State crapped the bed against them late, you know, back earlier this month or end of October, I should say, and they did. But Ohio State, you know, as much as I hate them, they had proven to be a pretty dominant team all year. And I just thought, you know, Michigan struggled a couple of times against some teams they probably should have handled pretty easily. Uh, and so when I looked at their whole their overall body of work, I just thought that Ohio State, being it was at Ohio, it, you know, it was in Columbus. Um, they coming off a loss last year at the Big House. I just thought, you know, that Ryan Day is going to have his guys ready to roll. And you know, he said last year, he said when you work this game 365 days a year and you come up short, it hurts, and we have to, we have to fix that. And so I, I was like, a year later, man, they're probably going to thrash. Um, and they didn't. I mean, Michigan showed up. I'm glad for Harbaugh, glad for those guys in blue, and uh, I'm, I, I'm okay getting this pick wrong because I wanted Ohio State to lose, but I just thought they would win. That's all. Yeah, man, and it's like I said, I was not going to pull for Michigan and pick Ohio State because I was not going to be pulling for my record. I was pulling for Michigan that entire game. I'm glad they won. I'm glad the defense won, but like you said, I think that I definitely expected Michigan to win that game. I even expected Ohio State to maybe muscle it out, but I did not expect Michigan to go into the horseshoe and win by 22. That I did not see coming. Uh, Michigan outrushed Ohio State 252 to 143 yards. Donovan Edwards rushed for 216 and two touchdowns in the absence of Blake Corum because of his injury. Uh, OSU actually ended up outpassing Michigan 349 to 278, uh, with Michigan beating OSU's overall offense 530 to 492. So what's the difference? Because those are honestly pretty close. Turnovers. Turnovers and penalties for OSU. Two interceptions in the fourth quarter, nine penalties for 91 yards. That's a lot of penalties. And, and that's a lot of penalties at home. Michigan didn't even get that many penalties on the road. So that makes me wonder, is the horseshoe really that tough of an environment? Because remember, Oregon came in there, second game of the year last year, and beat them on the road. So that makes me think, how tough is the environment there? Or is Michigan just that good of a team? And that could definitely be it, because Michigan looked poised. Michigan played well. Uh, I mean, Michigan's defense, man, it's like I said, Stroud chokes under pressure. He always throws high when he does this. And OSU, man, I, I just got to say this, they've played basically high school teams all year, got tested maybe against maybe against Penn State, definitely got tested a little bit against Maryland, but man, they got blown out at home. And that is what is going to keep them out of the college football playoffs, especially if USC wins the Pac-12. Uh, because if they would have lost to Notre Dame and gone to the Pac-12 uh, and Ohio State only had one loss, they probably could have got in, but they didn't. They're, if USC wins the Pac-12, I think they're going to get in over Ohio State. Uh, I, and it sucks, man, but like, well, it sucks for Ohio State because I've been saying all year they're overrated. They've been playing nobodies. Uh, they've been scoring all these points on nobodies. Uh, and finally, man, they come up against a good defense. And uh, like we always see when this happens, Stroud, Stroud freaked out. Doesn't do well under pressure. I mean, I just want to give a sh- – going back real quick, just on it back to last year, I just want to give a shout-out to UM because they didn't give up on Harbaugh. You know, he, I mean, a lot of times what happens is if you don't win – 
you don't win the big one or at least you know a big rivalry game or make yourself competitive in the first three four years especially and when you look at some of these guys like the SEC and stuff you know they 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 call for your head and, and you'll you'll be unemployed and so when I look at the fact they stuck with him for for several years and finally gave him the chance and of course he does it now back to back years you know given given Michigan their first loss in Columbus since since 2000 I just I have to give a big shout out to Michigan man because they they stuck with the process and I'm not saying that they're there yet you know who who knows what'll happen with the playoffs and everything but I've just got to say they've won they've won the bit they've won the game two years in a row and it's just really impressive they just look really good definitely and something else is that I mean JJ McCarthy man he played really well two huge passes downfield for 50 to 60 yards which tells me that the OSU secondary was not ready. And then, man, it's like that 160-yarder, that 185-yarder from Donovan Edwards, who's the backup to Blake Corum. He got deep. I mean, he rushed for 216 and two touchdowns. And those big runs, like breaking through the gap and just Ohio State couldn't run him down, man. It's Ohio State defense, too. That also killed him, too, man. You Michigan, I mean, they, they're a lot, especially in the third quarter towards the end and, and going into the fourth, their drives were long. They would pound the run game. They would control the line of scrimmage. And the announcers were talking about it. You know, they were like, this is a lot of what happened late last year. Michigan started to really control the line of scrimmage, pound the ground, pound the run game, and just wear down that defense and put together – consistent, you know, 70, 80 long drives, 70, 80 yard, you know, several minute drives. And eventually it just wore them out late down the game and, and they were able to get the win. So it's just, it's all around. Michigan just played great. I mean, they just did. Yeah. Michigan played a great game. And I think the consensus too, is that Ohio state, they just hadn't played a good defense all year. I mean, they hadn't really played a defense that they couldn't get past and Michigan showed up, and, and, and I love what you said, because I mean, that makes perfect sense. That's exactly like last year. That's how Michigan won by two touchdowns last year, man, late in the game, pound the ground, and, and, and you know, tire out the defense, and that's what they did, and they did it convincingly, and they ended up winning, so that's that. South Carolina at Clemson, our next big upset, dude. Actually, man, I mean, I mean only won by a point, and we're going to have Joey, uh, or I'm going to read some of Joey's thoughts. He texted me some things here in a minute. Uh, and we'll, we're going to talk about those. But basically, this game, Clemson jumps out early, 14 to nothing. South Carolina comes back. Uh, uh, they actually end up getting all close. But a safety by Rattler, because of intentional grounding, actually, kept them behind by two points pretty much the entire game. Uh, I mean, that was the difference. I mean, it was 16 to 14 after that. And uh, so South Carolina, like we said last week, they needed to play exactly like they did against Tennessee. They got close, but <laughs> it wasn't exactly like they did against Tennessee. Uh, Rattler threw two picks, something he didn't do against Tennessee, and uh, one of those actually ended up turning into a pick six. It was the first Clemson touchdown. Uh, and although there were turnovers, South Carolina outpassed Clemson 360 to 99. 360 yards versus Clemson's 99. Uh, and that was because the South Carolina defense played man coverage which forced DJ to either have to throw or hand the ball off, which is why Clemson outrushed South Carolina 237 to 54 yards. Uh, but what was the difference? Clemson had their fair share of turnovers, which is honestly what gave the game away. You would think DJ threw a lot of interceptions, right, with the defense playing in man, but he only threw one. It was actually the special teams. The special teams fumbled the ball not once, but twice. The second time being on a punt return with two minutes and 15 seconds left, down one point. I mean, all you have to do is not turn it over, go downfield, kick a field goal, and you win. But they give the ball back to the Gamecocks, 
They get a first down, take a couple of knees, and win their first game against Clemson since 2013. So who picked who? Me and Isaac, South Carolina, got it close. <laughs> Joey obviously picked Clemson, him being a Clemson fan. Uh, and I got to say, like, I think I'm just going to let Joey uh, say what he needs to say. This is Joey. At the beginning, the defense was doing great and the offense was doing decent, good enough to keep the defense off the field to breathe. I would definitely agree with that. The issue came in the second half when although, yes, the offense's identity is relying on Will Shipley and Moffat in the run game, there was no major pass plays that made the defense have to readjust. Receivers were dropping passes. DJ was missing throws. Screen passes don't work forever, and the South Carolina defense focused in on the run, shutting down every sense of the offense. In my honest opinion, although the Carolina offense looked good, it wasn't what won them the game. The lack of offense from Clemson ended up losing the game on top of two stupid fumbles from simply not protecting the ball properly. But to say South Carolina won the game convincingly is, in my opinion, incorrect. Spencer Rattler throwing two terrible interceptions, no run impact at all. I can bring up holding calls, but I'm not going to because that's a whole different story. Now, there's some things in here that I definitely agree with, and one of them is to say South Carolina dominated this game is 100% incorrect. (laughs) South Carolina did not dominate in this game. They were close. They had great passing game, but like Joey said, no run game. Something I did want to respond to that Joey said about Clemson's pass game, South Carolina's defense, their secondary, we said last week their secondary would have to play really well against DJ, and they did. I mean, they caught it. They caught an interception, but honestly, there was some. There was a couple big passes in this game that should have been that should have been uh, either, either intercepted or blocked, and there wasn't. But on respect to South Carolina, Spencer Rattler did exactly what he needed to do in the pass game, minus the two interceptions. Because like Joey said, those two interceptions really did help Clemson a lot. Honestly, Clemson should have won this game. But their two, their two fumbles and that one interception is the difference, especially the second one at the end of the game with two minutes left. When, like I said, all you have to do is not turn over. You just don't turn over the ball. Your offense goes downfield, kicks a field goal, and you win. So. Yeah, and I've got to say, Mason, I think, you know, all in all, I think South Carolina, they they ultimately, like you said, on defense, they kind of locked in. And I'll also throw this out there. I'm not saying it would have made a big difference, but I can't help but wonder if they would have, and I'm not blaming all this on DJ, but only only 99 pass yards is really, I mean, it's just really not good. Uh, so I can't help but wonder if maybe, just maybe, if they would have had a, a different quarterback. Again, not saying it would have made a big difference, but if DJ would not have been the starter, if it would have made a big difference. I don't think it would have, but I can't help but wonder if maybe, you know, having the ability to have a pass offense would have changed it. But I mean, you know, three hundred or two hundred and sixty yard difference on the offensive side of the ball on the passing game is a big deal. And South Carolina, I think they just showed up. That's why I picked them. I said, you know, they beat Tennessee by twenty five. I think they're gonna go into Clemson and they're gonna do what they have to do to get the win. And I mean they did. You know, that's just it. I picked South Carolina because it was another gut thing. For me, I was like, I feel like South Carolina is playing really hot right now. I feel like if Rattler can go into Death Valley and play exactly like he did against Tennessee, then then they were going to win this game. So, I mean, and that's South Carolina really did the impossible. They've knocked off two top 10 teams in consecutive weeks. First time they've ever done that in program history. First was number five, Tennessee. The second team being obviously number eight, Clemson. So, I mean, South Carolina just out here winning lottos and crushing playoff dreams because, I mean, they're doing it, man. They are. 
And something else I, w- I wanted to point out, too, just responding to the defensive comments of South Carolina, they kind of did what Georgia did against Tennessee. They kind of went away from the zone coverage and went to the man defense. And what that does is, is it puts it puts a defender on every single receiver, and you say, if you're going to throw to him, you got to beat me. you got to beat me over the top because I'm staying right here on him. I'm not covering a zone. You're going to have to beat me either with a slant route or you're going to have to just outrun me. That's how Georgia ended up beating Tennessee, and that's how South Carolina ended up beating Clemson. And I'm I'm kind of glad that South Carolina beat Clemson low-key because uh, I really wanted that pick to win. And that's I mean, I, I really like Shane Beamer. I think he's a good coach. I think it's just it's just cool to see a team that, that started so low. I mean, because, you know, in South Carolina's last season with Will Muschamp, they ended up going like 2-8, and eight, I think. And, I mean, last year they go 6-6, six and six, beat UNC in the Dukes Mayo Bowl, and this year they come into Death Valley. They're going to end at eight and they're going to end the regular season at eight and four with two top ten wins in a row. That to me is crazy. All right, moving on. Last big upset. I know this one is going to hurt Isaac's heart. It's number five LSU at Texas A and M. Uh, my question is, trap game. It kind of seemed like it. I mean, the way LSU played. They, I mean, now don't get me wrong. The home of the 12th man is a tough place to play. Kyle Field is a difficult place to play. It is. Because the thing is, too, LSU, you're going into the SEC championship. You're thinking, man, if we win the SEC championship against Georgia, you know, they have the possibility of being the first two-loss team in the CFP, in the CFP history. And they're going into a tough game in a tough environment. Maybe they overlook it just a hair. And maybe they end up losing. Uh, so who picked who? We all picked LSU. And I think I can tell you the reason we all picked LSU is because even though this game was on the road for LSU in a tough environment, Texas A&M has sucked all year. Now, I can't say I didn't see this coming, but it did surprise me a little bit. Because this game was honestly kind of close until it wasn't. LSU outpassed A&M, but not by much. A&M outrushed LSU 274 to 187. Devin A-Chain comes back from injury, gets 215 yards and two touchdowns. And then, of course, turnovers for LSU. That darn play-action fumble strikes again, and uh, they give the ball over late. Final score ends up being 38-23. to I'm going to let Isaac talk about this one just because of the playoff implications for LSU. I mean, and they're still in the, they're still in the SEC championship. So what, is, what does this mean for LSU as a fan and, honestly, just as a team? You know, as a team, I think I think this goes to show that you know you can never overlook any one opponent. You know, you can make the same case for um, make the same case for the Arkansas game. You know, Arkansas was a team who was flirting with five hundred. We went into Fayetteville after after beating Bama, and it was like, you know, we'll probably be okay. You know, I think we were favored by a touchdown or something like that. Or no, we were on favored by a field goal. I'm sorry, and we won by a field goal or whatever it was. So. I don't know. I, I just I think that either I'm not going to blame Brian Kelly. I'm not going to blame the coaching staff. I don't really know what to say other than it's possible it was a trap game, or I'll say this: A and M had nothing else to play for but to play spoiler. And I think honestly, even with a ninety million dollar buyout, I think they saved Jimbo's job for another year. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, they just went in there. They didn't. They, they looked flat all night. They did not. They didn't lead not one time. You know, they they trailed by as many as two touchdowns. Uh, at any given moment, you know, they went down 10 to 17, then it was 17 17, then it was 17 31. And it's all in all, they didn't play a great game. I mean, we combined for a total of less than 400 yards, you know, 197 through the air, 187 on the ground. 
It's a recipe for disaster. And A&M, they always like to play us close. They haven't won in Baton Rouge in the SEC in the past 10 years. But, you know, they've won three of the past five matchups. You can go back to 2018, you look at the, the seven-overtime game, which may or may not have been correct or whatever. But just all in all, you know, outside of 2019, they've played us really close. And the fact that we went in there last night as a team with all the expectation in the world to win the game, favored by 10, 75% chance to win as of kickoff, and to lose by two touchdowns, it hurts. And as a fan, it really sucks. I, I hate A&M, I, especially after Max, transfer, Max Johnson transferred and his brother, the five-star tight end, decommitted and flipped to A&M all like in one day. I was like, man, I can't wait to play A&M. And now I wish we never would have, would have had to. But we did, and we lost. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll go and play Georgia. And then we'll we'll hope for the best in that game, go play a bowl game, and hope to get to 10 wins one way or the other. Yeah, man. And to see our predictions for championship weekend, come back to our episode on Thursday. And don't forget to go vote on the TBD Sportscast College Football Award Show. Link in the bio and in this video description. Anyway, yeah, it's a tough loss for LSU, especially with such a promising season. But even with this loss still, man, so much to be proud of. Winning the West, uh, going to the SEC Championship with a shot to win the entire conference. Um, so, I mean, still a lot to be proud of. It is a tough loss, and I know if it was me losing in a trap game, I'd, I'd be pretty upset too. So, But it is what it is. All right, quickly, we're going to talk about some playoffs real quick. We got, some, we got a couple pass for a couple teams. So, obviously, Georgia, Michigan, TCU. Win in championship weekend, they're in. USC's path to the playoff is simple, winning they're in. You win in the Pac-12 championship against Utah, you're in. Ohio State's path to the playoff. If TCU loses to K-State in the Big 12 championship and Michigan loses to Purdue in the Big 10 championship, then I think Ohio State actually has a pretty good path because both those teams would be one loss. The only team left undefeated would be Georgia at that point. So I, I think that it uh, it would be, be a little bit crazy. I think, I think if USC loses two, they're in. I think if USC loses as well, they'll probably get put in. Uh, but that's where this dark horse comes in, good old Alabama. Now, a lot of people have been talking about this, about Alabama's playoff path. To me, it's impossible. There is no way the committee is going to put in Alabama with any way. The only way that this would... I mean, the committee's done crazier things. The only way this would happen, though, TCU loses, Michigan loses, and USC loses. And it's not one of those things has to happen. It's not two of those things have to happen. It's all three of those things have to happen. TCU would have to lose, Michigan would have to lose, and USC would have to lose. If any of those teams win, they're not making it in. Because OSU, Ohio State, only has one loss to the number three team in the country. Was it a blowout at home? Yes. But it's still only one loss to the number three team. TCU would only have one loss, and TCU has played in some tough environments, and they already beat Kansas State in the regular season. A one-loss TCU would definitely get in over Bama. So there's no way. I don't think that Bama, with two losses, gets in. Because who have they played on their schedule? Like, yeah, they played a tough SEC schedule, but who would they beat? They lost to on the road to Tennessee, who has no pass defense, and, you know, Will Reichard missing a field goal, and they lost to LSU in overtime. So it wasn't even like a convincing loss. Like, yeah, they only lost by one point. I guess they had a chance to win, but LSU dropped their nuts, as the South Carolina defender says, and got in the end zone on a two-point try and won the game in overtime. So, yeah, Alabama, I mean, what have they done to deserve to get in? I mean, their pass defense sucks. Their offense has been lackluster at some points in this season. 
I don't think that they've done anything to prove that they deserve to get in because they haven't won games they needed to. In the games that they were supposed to win, the big games, they didn't. They lost two top ten matchups. And they and they like they just don't have any reason to get in. Because everybody's been talking about, well, Alabama's strength of schedule is better than TCU. TCU hasn't played anybody and they've had to come back. It's like, okay, they've won the games that mattered. They've won the games in regular season. They've gone undefeated in regular season. They're the only undefeated team in the Big 12. If they take one loss in the championship, you really think the committee is going to put in two-loss Alabama who hasn't beat a single top-10 team all season over a team who has beat a lot of top-25 opponents in some tough environments and only lost against a team they've already beat? No. TCU will get in. That's 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 my opinion. I agree with you, Mason. I think you made a lot of good points, and and just truthfully, like you said, I think it's gonna it would be a an absolute disaster. It would ruin all credibility of the committee uh, if they were to put Alabama in. I don't think they will, and I don't think there's any path for Alabama to get in, even if all three of those teams lose, which I don't think they will. I think TCU and Michigan will both win, and USC they may lose, but TCU and Michigan I believe will both win, and at that point it doesn't matter. It's all over anyway. So a two loss team. The only two-loss team that was going to make it would have been LSU. They're out. So two-loss team will not see the CFP this year. End of story. Definitely. Well, that's our podcast. That's our Rivalry Week review. I mean, it was a crazy week in college football, but uh, you know what? we got a great game coming up this Saturday that we're both excited for. And uh, we're going to be talking about all those games on Thursday, so come back then. Uh, but heck yeah, go dogs. Go Tigers. Always remember, no matter what team you pull for, if you're on God's side, you're always on the winning team. Just know that Romans 5.8 tells us that God showed his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, while we were still his enemies, he sent his only son to die for us. That is the gospel. The fact that you are a sinner, I am a sinner, we are all sinners. We all created a gap between us and God through our sin. And Jesus, in his love, in his great, amazing, gracious love, sent his only son to take our sin and pay the punishment that we needed to pay in order to bridge the gap between us and God so that we could have a relationship with Him. And He wants that with you. He wants to have a relationship with you. He loves you. He created you. He wants to know you so deep and so intimate. The gospel and salvation in Jesus is so close to the heart of TBD Sportscast. If you ever want to talk about that, you can always hit us up on our DMs on Instagram. Send us a message on Facebook or just leave a comment on this YouTube video. We'll find a way to reach out and talk. And uh, you guys can always do that. We're praying for you guys. And uh, we just hope you guys have enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to go vote on the TBD Sportscast College Football Awards Show. Link in our bio on Instagram, on Facebook, and then in the description of this YouTube video. Uh, Like we said, we're praying for you guys. And uh, we hope you'll come and listen to our podcast on Thursday as we look forward to Championship Weekend. All right, guys. We'll see you. Later. Bye-bye.